Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and our guest is Tanya Sanchez, an assistant professor of political science at Yale University. Her teaching and research focus on international cooperation and international law. In particular, she studies how international law and organizations shape international security and human rights policy. She is currently working on a book on the domestic political factors that affect treaty compliance. Today we talk with Professor Sanchez about her supply side theory of treaty implementation and compliance. Welcome, Professor Sanchez. Thank you for having me. Let us talk about your theory. Give us an overview. So the um, piece that I'm working on right now has to look at domestic factors that affect whether countries comply with human rights agreements, mm -hmm. um, particularly because I'm a political scientist, the politics that surround treaty ratification and treaty implementation. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean uh, how countries actually take a treaty and make it part of their domestic law okay. and institutions. Um, and I, uh, there's a lot of research uh, in political science in this area, but a little bit has looked at the role that NGOs or other groups in civil society have uh, pushed states to adopt treaties and implement them. But not a lot of work has looked at uh, the what I call the supply side, which is the government, mainly how legislatures and executives go about actually passing the laws and putting them into the books so that states can be in compliance with international agreements. Okay. What led you to this work and, and how are you doing the research? So uh, it started as part of my uh, doctoral work. Uh, I was looking at trying to explain why some countries seem to undertake some international treaties and do fairly well in complying, but others don't. So mm -hmm. it's sort of a puzzle that I sought out to explore and one that a, a lot of other scholars have looked into. Okay. Um, and I started to look more at the, the politics surrounding that. And the way I went about um, the research uh, was by first starting to look at what states have actually done mm -hmm. um, after they've ratified agreements. Uh, which you think that would be a pretty uh, obvious place to start, but there was not a lot of data. So I started by actually collecting a lot of data, okay. going through each country's penal codes, um, and also the records of um, how legislatures debated different bills to implement treaties into their domestic legal systems. So I started by collecting a lot of data and subsequently doing some statistical analysis using that, that data. Okay. Let's talk specifics. Um, what are some of the countries um, that you could cite, for instance, um, that may have uh, enacted uh, a treaty a little bit differently than perhaps an, a diff another country? Are there any uh, correlations there or differences that you could speak to? Oh, there's, there's uh, once you start looking, there are wide differences, and this is what's okay. um, interesting about the project. So when I started looking at their penal codes, um, they all start, all the countries start with the same treaty. Mm -hmm. And then one of the treaties I was looking was the Convention Against Torture. Okay. And they all started, um, they all ratified the treaty. And so you would think that they, all of their laws would pretty much mirror what the treaty said, criminalize torture, put some sanctions. Um, and I started by looking at Latin America because the region is very uh, uniform in lots of variables that allow me to control for other circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, they, if you look at the definitions, they define torture very differently from country to country. Uh, for instance, countries like Paraguay will um, make a requ requisite that you prove intent 
uh, when you're trying to uh, convict somebody of the crime of torture, um, which is not part of the treaty. Mm -hmm. They just sort of threw that in there. Um, the sanctions vary widely. So you have a country like Argentina that will punish torture from eight to 20 years. Wow. Um, but Paraguay will be like uh, two months to six months. Okay. So two months, six months, eight to 20 years, big discrepancies. Right, right. So I thought, why, why are some countries being very strong implementers, really following the treaty, putting strong sanctions, and why do we have other countries that have um, you know, definitions that don't conform to the treaty and sanctions that are you know, very weak and might not get us to. Okay. And how does your theory explain these differences, um, these variances? Politics. Okay. <laughs> I think um, the theory sort of uh, has a lot to do with who is in power, um, not just at the time that the treaty was ratified, but who is in power when they actually have to put the laws in the books, the preferences of the party in power, um, but not just what their preferences are, but also who their political opposition is and whether they can actually get those laws through the legislative process. As you know, getting a bill you know, passed is, is very complicated. Yes, uh, and so it's almost often, a miracle when it happens. Yes, it is. Um, so not, I not only looked at how the, the politics affected the, you know, amendments of bills, but the time mm -hmm. um, that it took. Some countries take after they ratify treaty um, two years by the, to, to get the law. Some countries like Uruguay, 20 years. Um, why did it take 20 years? Well, they couldn't agree, and then the bill was killed in committee, and then it just didn't get picked up again mm -hmm. until they had a change of power. Um, another party came in. They retook the, the, the bill, finally passed it through. They had more support. They had a majority uh, in the legislature, so they mm -hmm. didn't have to deal with a lot of um, the hassles that it takes for a bill to get through. Mm -hmm. So I look at that process and explain how, uh, you know, when they disagree about what should what they want domestically to happen, it stalls the process, and so we have a lot of um, states that get stuck in that process. It's a long and complicated process. Right, right. So how does your supply side theory differ from current thinking? Um, it doesn't necessarily differ. It sort of supplements a, a side that has hadn't been studied. Mm -hmm. the, uh, a lot of other theories, which I call the demand side, um, explain um, how different people within the polity demand that the state undertake these agreements and implement them. Um, so that uh, research has looked a lot at how NGOs, uh, civil society, activists, lawyers, etc., cetera, uh, push the government to actually get those laws in the books. Um, so they're looking sort of at one piece of the puzzle and I'm looking at a, another piece of the puzzle, but they you know, complement each other because mm -hmm. um, a lot of the states don't really get these bills going until there is that you know, demand from the people. Right. Um, but then I go in and say, but it's, that's not enough. The demand is not enough. You still have to have enough support within the legislature to get those bills going um, and actually get it in the, in the books. And then subsequent to the law being passed to actually uh, fulfill the law, train your police, uh, allocate funds, you know, develop the policies that really get compliance with the treaties. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of a lot of work. Do you ever think, though, that there will be a time when treaties can be um, enacted uh, on an equal level where one country does it the same as another country? It seems like politics will always have some role to play in that process. Um, 
I don't think that they'll ever be identical, and, but I think that's a good thing because not all countries are identical, so you need to allow for some countries to sort of you know, tailor it for their own individual situation, their own legal systems very uh, widely, so what makes, you know, a law that makes a lot of sense in one country and another country wouldn't work particularly well. Um, but you, what you don't want is huge discrepancies, so you need to narrow that gap of what's, what's acceptable variation. And I think that uh, part of how you achieve that is by writing better treaties. Okay. The treaties leave up a lot of room for interpretation. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they'll say something like, don't torture, torture bad, don't do it. But then they leave a lot of the rest uh, up to the states to fill in the blanks. And mm -hmm. so if we were able to um, write better treaties and maybe also at the international level, give um, implementation assistance to countries um, so they have a better idea of what the international community expects um, when they uh, undertake these treaties, that we would see the less mm -hmm. variation. Okay. And uh, in terms of any conclusions that you have in terms of policy and, and how best, you know, to move forward with um, enacting treaties, what would you suggest? Um, I think from the international community is give a lot more assistance to states, um, both legal, technical assistance, so to legislatures, um, to give them sample legislation of what we expect you to look at. A lot of the times um, states have to draft their own from scratch, and this is why we see a lot of variation. But in other treaties we have seen um, that international bodies like the UN will present to them a sample legislation that uh, often states just identically take it and try to pass that through. Um, also uh, make it requirement that states actually pass a law within a, a time period and not allow states to you know, go on 20 years or so um, without actually doing something. So following up with the states and giving them assistance, helping them what is it that's stalling the process. Sometimes there's not much you can be done because if it's politics, mm -hmm. you just have to wait till the till you know there's a configuration that um, comes in, or, or try to convince them, and that that's where the civil society uh, part is important to try to persuade the legislators and the people that um, this is a desirable bill and that it should be passed. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that can be done depending on whether you want to operate domestically or whether you want to operate at it from an international level. Um, so we uh, think that, or scholars think that there's a lot of capacity building that could help countries, mm -hmm. giving them the right tools um, to achieve the treaty goals. Right, okay, very good. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work. Great, thank you for having me. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.